0: Welcome to Healthcare Upside Down with your host, Dr. Nick Vanterhaven, and brought to you by ECG Management Consultants. You can learn more about the show on the program's page at healthcarenowradio.com or on our blog at ecgmc.com hud. The U.S. spends more on healthcare per capita than any other country on the planet, so why don't we have superior outcomes? Why haven't the principles of capitalism prevailed? And why do American consumers have so much trouble accessing and paying for healthcare? Each week, Healthcare Upside Down will dive into these and other issues with ECG principal, Dr. Nick, and guest panelists as they discuss the upsides and downsides of healthcare in the US, and how to make the system work for everyone. And we end with your better pill to swallow, the conclusion to today's episode with insights on challenges and changes that improve healthcare. Now here's your host, Dr. Nick.
1: Healthcare pace may seem glacial at times from the outside, but when you're working inside the system, there are many complexities that challenge progress. People reference banks and the creation of a system that works not just domestically in the United States, but actually works internationally as a good example of speedy progress. But that journey was not the blazing fast progress that the rose-tinted spectacles observers of today think or imagine. The original ATM, or automated teller machine, was invented with a combination of concepts, ideas, and patents from a number of individuals from the UK and the USA in the 1960s. This included bringing together that dreaded and now overused PIN number, the actual automated teller machine, And even the early ATM or cash cards, which originally came as checks, impregnated with carbon-14, a mildly radioactive substance. Thankfully, things have improved from here. But that journey took many years, and it included systems that were not interoperable and did not communicate real time. A fact that one of my medical student friends quickly understood to allow him to overdraw his account late at night. Over time, progress was made and when you're needing cash, access is widespread and international using a universal communication network and protocols. In healthcare, we've moved technology along and in my past, building a brand new hospital offered a unique and wonderful opportunity to start from scratch. In our case, to create a paperless, all digital hospital in the early 1990s. The progress of technology around us was so rapid that in the original design for this hospital, we had allocated a substantial amount of space for the computer room to house all the technology we would need. But by the time we came to install it, things had already shrunk so much, we essentially halved the space to reduce the amount of cooling equipment required. To this day, I find many of the lessons learned to apply and bring relevant insights to hospital technology installations and solutions, and I'm grateful to have had the opportunity to learn and build on that blank sheet of paper. When those opportunities come along, they offer an incredible learning opportunity and generate amazing insights as they did for my next guest. Join me on the Healthcare Upside Down show as I talk with Tanya Townsend the 2022 chime board chair and senior vice president and chief information officer at lcmc health a new orleans based nonprofit health system hi tanya welcome to the show
2: hi nick thanks for having me
1: so i'm uh, excited to uh, spend a little bit of time with uh, experienced uh, cio uh, you've been in this space for a long long time and in fact, one of your claims to fame is an original implementation of a digital hospital. Tell us a little bit about that, and I wanna say the hill that you had to climb and the number of lives that you lost along the way.
2: <laughs> yep, still recovering. <laughs> um, yeah, this was back in 2004, uh, and I was in Wisconsin at the time, so I spent a lot of, I was born and raised in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and spent a lot of time in healthcare organizations there. Um, but there was a vision and it was a brand new, net new hospital. It wasn't a replacement. So had kind of a green pasture to deal with. And we just had a vision. So um, I think I was, you know, one of the, the first five employees or so hired. And from the CEO to the CNO to the CMO, we just all believed in this vision of what a digital hospital could look like. Um, What made that so unique at the time is this was before meaningful use. That was before it really was a driver. So we were, we just had this vision of building paperless. We didn't have a a medical record filing room, Um, and we were doing CPOE before CPOE was fully adopted or accepted. There was a lot of skepticism around that. Um, but because we had that vision from the very beginning, every employee that we hired, we made sure, are you comfortable with technology? Do you believe in this vision too? Um, and, and it really was everybody embracing the concept. And, and again, it was before today, it's before where things are much more common. So we didn't have a single electronic health record vendor to deal with. We were doing best of breed, so we probably had a dozen or more systems that all had to um, be band-aided together, integrated together, before, again, uh, we really had those concepts. We had wireless, before wireless was really stable. We had um, um, tablets, which probably weighed about eight pounds at the time, which are now much more light. Um, We had Wows, the workstation on wheels, Um, We were doing voice recognition. We were doing um, what we called digital ink. So if there was something that needed to be written down, it was done with a stylus and in the the chart. Um, And so it was just really exciting to be part of that kind of bleeding edge, leading edge. Um, And now it's just also widely adopted because then meaningful use came around a few years later, and now it just became a driver for most healthcare organizations. And that's how we kind of are where we are today. But I really feel like I was on the. The front lines are the leading edge of making that a reality. So
1: do you think part of what allowed you to achieve that, and, you know, I've got some experience in my past going back, that you know, very similar. One of the critical elements was that it was a greenfield site, that there was nothing there, because that's one right. of the challenges is if you try and bring this to any existing hospital, first of all, you know, there's all the dogma that is associated with, no, that's the way that we do things, but it's It's the connection of the old with the new. Uh,
2: absolutely. Um, I, it was because it was a greenfield that I think it was a huge success. If we like now when we, I do a lot of mergers and acquisitions now, and so you're inheriting a lot of um, what they already had, what they already did, and you're trying to um, kind of go up the hill with bringing in new concepts with the way we've always done things. So um, that that was unique situation. Um the other part that was so unique is we had time. We had the luxury of time. We weren't we weren't actually fully operating a hospital and trying to build one at the same time. Um so we had the luxury of really building out every workflow, every concept, every um aspect. So we spent about a year just building what is this going to look like and training and um, you know, working together on making sure that everything was going to be seamless and integrated. So we had the luxury of time, um, because that's I, all we did for a year.
1: I, I don't even know how you got that time. Because when we were doing this, the challenge was that this was a huge cost. And you know, the, 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 there is no incremental cost in operating a hospital, it goes right yeah. up to the top, you know, millions of dollars because of all these staff. And you know, mm-hmm. so how did you afford yourself? What was what was going on behind the scenes to fund this then?
2: Um, well, anytime you're building a new hospital, there's certainly a budget. So, so we were dealing with, um, a budget that had already been committed. Um, and, and yeah, we had to be really careful about hiring, Mm -hmm. right? You don't want to, you're not going to have your full staff while you're trying to build everything. Um, but yeah, with the handful of people that we had hired early on, we, we got in the room every day and just started designing and building and, Uh, working together and then um, closer to the actual opening is when we started you
1: expanded and then you also talked about something that I thought was interesting that that employee hire so was it a a, 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 an actual process or was it just sort of passively you tended to attract people Mm -hmm. that were more engaged and willing versus the old Luddites who said no no we're into stone tablets we don't want any of this digital (laughs) stuff
2: Yeah, it was part of the um, interview process. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So so working with human resources and part of orientation, we had our CEO invited everyone and and came and spoke and just said, these are the expectations. Are you comfortable with that? But it it was part of the interview from the very beginning was this is who we're going to be. Are you on board? So let's
1: extend that a little bit because now you're in a different world. You know, you've got the, uh, let's pull all this stuff together. Oh my God, you've got this. How the hell are we going to get it all together? How do you now think about that in the future? Were the learning points in that experience that allowed you to uh, bring together these multi-system, different approaches? And is some of that let's be you know let's be honest about it. Is some of that you have to throw some of the bathwater out?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. You're you're right. Well, I'll probably never have that experience again. Where you're building a greenfield. Uh, no, don't this. say never, never. You <laughs> never know. You never, never know. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it, it was a unique experience. So, um, but taking those concepts. So I, I obviously won't have the luxury of that time when you're doing mergers and acquisitions and now trying to um, implement new systems and remove the old systems. Um, But the concepts are the same. So um, the the things that worked really well in that experience, try to apply those, um, even if it's a smaller scale. So the example where we sat in a room and built every workflow um, and and documented everything. So we we probably won't be able to do that to the extreme that we did. But taking those concepts, let's make sure we um, have those kind of conversations in in very um, Uh, those unique experiences make sure we take those concepts
1: and I'm going to add to that uh, honest and open communications it says look we have to come together and agree on this because you can't have this diverse set of approaches Mm -hmm. and and I'll give you a little bit of context from my experience one of the things that we learned you know so we put in we, we did similar things and we we created rooms that we thought were fantastic and then we got some of the clinicians involved and they go what on earth are you thinking? So did, did you manage to sort of score some points early on with the clinical community? And have you brought some of those experience? Because I'm still using some of that experience in my world.
2: Yeah. So um, again, back from the, the early on experience, we did CPOE, computerized physician order entry. And that was before it was acceptable. Um, so, <laughs> so there was a lot of skepticism that we faced on this isn't going to work. Why are we doing this? Um, and so, had to of course partner very closely with our clinical community. So we have a chief medical officer there who was also part of that, you know, top five employees that was championing it and um, making sure that he was communicating and supporting it with the, the physician community. So, so yes, fast forward now, um, it's a it's a much more common word to call clinical um, CMIO, so clinical. Um, or chief medical informatics officer. So we have a lot of those now, but that was right. um, not a common not a common role at the time. So those are extremely vital to uh, making sure you're bringing along the clinical community and having that partnership.
1: So go back to that time. You build the hospital. It's up. It's all digital. Tell me about the borders. Did, did everything come in digital? And how did you communicate with everybody that was interacting with this hospital system? How did that go for you?
2: Um, so... We, we talked a little bit about cyber earlier. So that was the – it's kind of interesting now how where cybersecurity is at now. At the time, the concern was patient privacy. So how do I make sure my data is protected? How do, how do we make sure that this digital is, is safe? Um, so that was really probably the biggest um, question that we had at the time was just making sure that we were protecting patients' data and, and patient privacy at the time. Um, But we did scan everything in, so we didn't have a a, a medical record filing room. So, again, we were scanning at the point of care in 2005. Um, That's very common now, but that was also something that was new at the time. Um, And so, anyway, fast forward, and now cybersecurity is just, you know, kind of a a whole new world of challenges that we face.
1: So before we get to the cybersecurity, because I think that's important to dive into, but um, when you talk about scanning... At the time, did did you build scanning capabilities? Because, again, in our experience, we we didn't really sort of think about it, and then suddenly everybody's sending us paper and actual physical films. I don't know you were pre- or post-PAX at that point. And then the outbound... We ended up with a big printing facility because we had to outbound that way because nobody could take it digitally. Did you have the same experience?
2: Yes, we did, um, and 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 that hasn't changed. So twenty years later, I think we print and fax more <laughs> still today. Than... Are you talking twenty twenty three? Yes. We're... Oh, wash um, your mouth out. <laughs> yes, I, I I know my uh, my technical team laughs too because it's amazing how important it is printing and faxing. Mm. It's still unbelievable how much of it we do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, that's it it, it. it is a bit of a tragedy. Although I've seen some innovations around some of the faxing that sort of digitizes, and obviously the OCR that can try and take some useful information. Um, so let's move to cybersecurity. Obviously, trust is a huge issue. Um, I, I think you only get trust once, and then once you've lost it, it it's almost impossible—not completely—to restore it. At least, not ever to the level. How do you approach that? I mean, that's like, uh, there is no bigger target than the one that's on your back and all the data that you've got. It's phenomenal, right? I, I, people are driving in. I can only imagine what your day looks like when you think about that and when you're sort of dealing with that because that must sit underneath your responsibilities.
2: It, it does. Um, and, and yeah, it's just one of the you know dozens of hats that I wear, but um, it, it is something that I'm passionate about. It is something that I find um, very important. I actually got involved in healthcare IT um, a long time ago, and my passion at that time was information security. And at that time, again, it was more around patient privacy, and HIPAA came out around that time. Um, and so it's just crazy how, how it's really expanded now to, to be um, where it's at with cyber criminals and, and so much data to protect now. Um, and so I did. I, in, in my current organization, uh, we didn't have a cyber program. We didn't have an information security program. So I did kind of take it upon myself like this is important. We're going to stand one up. So it
1: wasn't even your, I, I, I mean, not to say that you discarded it, but it, it wasn't like a focal point and you had to create
2: that? I did. So um, I'm I'm actually in my current organization. I'm the first chief information officer for the organization. So I also say I'm the first CISO to um, information security officer. But I'm very glad that I did have that passion and stood it up. So um, I've been there for eight years now, and I started it uh, in 2016, where we really just started to put the building blocks together, because a a truly robust information security program doesn't stand up overnight, and, and you can't afford to stand it up overnight. There's so many tools that you have to have in place, processes, people, expertise, so I had started to stand that up and it's been um, just growing ever since. And I don't think we're ever like fully comfortable that we're that we're there. Um, but I'm, I'm happy that we had that program in place and had had the basic foundation because, of course, now it, it really during COVID, it seems to have really taken a, a whole leap of so many more attacks and. Um, just, just so many more um, risks that we have to protect ourselves. I
1: think from. that's all the people that are at home. They've got <laughs> nothing better to do, so they, oh, well, let's
2: try this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a lot of
1: these script kiddies that get involved, and I, yeah. <laughs> I'm trivializing it. It's not, it's not a trivial problem, to be clear. So, um, so I, you know, lots going on. Fantastic history. Let's talk a little bit about Chime. You're the uh, the current president. You know that must be an exciting position. I, I've got to ask the question. Uh, is is this a new thing to have a woman at the head of this organization, or uh, how much of a, a a path are you paving?
2: Yeah, uh, so um, Chime's been around for thirty years, and um, I'm the third woman in thirty wow. years. Congratulations!
1: <laughs> I'm I'm glad to see that.
2: Yes, me t- me too. Um, and so it's it's been a great experience. I've been a long term member of Chime. Um, I started with the boot camp, I think, back in 2006 is, is is when I joined. Oh, that was right
1: after you built your digital yes. hospital, right? Yeah. Yes.
2: So, um, Shouldn't you have done that the other way around? Probably, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so I, I was new to Chime, and I did their boot camp, and it just opened this whole new world to me. So I was from, you know, tiny hospital in rural Wisconsin, and now I'm exposed to, you know, these top industry leaders and I was learning from them, and I'm, I'm in the room, and I just felt such, such a um, belonging. I, I felt like I found this new part of family. of the tribe. Yeah, mm. I, I found this new family. I felt part of this, um, I, I felt part of. And so I've just been a member ever since, and, and just a supporter, and um, participated in, in various committees, and of course come to events like this, and, and just have been such a fan for a very long time. Um, and so when I had the opportunity to say, how can I get even more involved, um, I, I actually ran for the board twice. Uh, and so um, I, I made it to the ballot and that was just really exciting to me by itself. And and then I, uh, I, I made it to the, the board in I think my first year was twenty nineteen um, so this is my fifth year now. <laughs> um and so it's just been great a, a great journey. um the the organization's great. I hope people are e- uh, enjoying the event that we're at uh, with five. This is only the second one. Um, and so I hope everyone's learning and continuing to network. It's just such a such a great organization, and we're there for um, continuing, you know, healthcare education uh, and digitizing uh, healthcare. So, um, hope everyone's enjoying themselves.
1: I, I think there's no question. I, I, it, great event, I think, you know, well put together, lots of positive experience. I, I want to go back to something because I think, um, I, I'm not sure a lot of people would know that you went into the ballot twice and obviously failed, uh-huh. right? Yeah. How did you come back from that? Because I think that's the character of people and what people to learn need to learn. How did you sort of cope with that? Because it's not easy.
2: Um, you know, I, I, I I didn't take it too personal. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, I was really just proud to have made it to the ballot. And, and I, I think it was like 2012 or 2013 when I ran and I, I still felt like, um, in my infancy, in my career. Um, and, and so I, I didn't take it, uh, uh, too personal. So yeah, I thought, okay, well I was, I was still very young and green in my career, so that's Okay. And as I continue to evolve and grow and do different things in my career, I just thought, you know, maybe it's time again. So ran ran again a few years so later. I, I,
1: I think the recurring theme I hear all always around this is, you know, the people that are successful are the ones that have been knocked down multiple times, but get up one more time. And, Absolutely. Um, and, you know, I think that's very clear. So uh, you're, you're at the head of a very significant, um, strong organization full of, I think, key individuals that Let's be frank, 30 years ago, they were a cost, never a, an actual contribution. I think that's changed. Um, what are you excited about leading that now? You're, you're essentially leading this organization that wields a very strong, powerful lobby, for want of another term. What do you see and what would you like to see happen over the next two or three years?
2: Yeah, um, it, it has been a, it, it's been exciting to watch move, that movement from a cost center. So IT typically was um, kind of in the basement and typically around under finance. So it was a cost mm-hmm. to manage. And so now it has been exciting to have that shift to um, reporting to the CEO and reporting to chief strategy officers. So um, I, I, I like to say you really can't do much without us. Um, so, so I mean, every strategy, for the most part, just about every one, is enabled by technology now. Uh, so we are partners. We're at, we're at the table. Um, we're seen as an asset. So that's been exciting to see, to, to be part of that shift. Um, and so I guess where I'd like to see things next is just taking it to that next level of um, what else can we do? So how can we digitize Uh, what we do. How do we we get more involved with the patient experience and have patient engagement? Um, Because that also has shifted. So um, the first, you know, the last decade or so was really focused on the clinical experience, the clinician experience, which continues to be very important. But now how do we make that shift to to really engaging our patients? Because consumerism, you know, patients definitely know that they have a choice and they want um, easy access and they want to be a, a part of their care. Um, and so that's where I want to see things go next with, uh, digital healthcare. So I, and, and I,
1: I, I want to ask you a little bit. So, uh, you know, the physicians are, are essentially serviced by this, this it, let's be honest, the electronic medical record is not any physician's friend. It's not been. um, how can we fix that?
2: Um, Well, it needs to continue to be a focus for sure. Um, How do we keep them happy? How do we make them efficient? How do we continue to balance all of the regulatory requirements that Mm -hmm. we now have to ensure get documented? And um, just how do we try to automate as much of that as possible so that their experience um, isn't a burden and we don't continue to face some of the burnout challenges that we are seeing in, in the clinical space?
1: So leading the charge, uh, automation to remove much of the drudgery, using technology to actually support the delivery of care and supporting patients with that delivery of care. Tanya, thanks for joining me on the show.
2: Thank you so much. Appreciate it.
1: By now, we all recognize that healthcare is complicated and standing up technology all the while building trust and resiliency in those systems and organizations is an ongoing process. Capitalizing on novel and formative experiences helped Tanya throughout her journey in healthcare. As you heard, it starts with open communications and building consensus with the clinical community and the many groups who go to make up the ultimate package of healthcare we deliver. Your better pill to swallow is to access the resources available and all the learning experiences of others through your professional memberships and groups. There's a huge community of folks, some of whom have already faced similar challenges and obstacles that they are ready and willing to help you. But it doesn't stop there. You have to give back and contribute. Complete the circle and pay it forward. Thanks for joining me, your host, Dr. Nick, on this week's edition of Healthcare Upside Down. Until next week, keep solving the business of healthcare as if your life depended on it, as one
0: day soon, it will. That's all the time we have for today. You can find all of our episodes on your favorite listening platform by searching for Healthcare Now Radio. Also check out our blog at ecgmc.com slash hud for summaries and commentary from each episode. Follow our show's social hashtag HCUpsideDown. And join us each week as we work to solve the business of healthcare for everyone.